Welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, a very warm welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. Thank you for joining me today on this episode. And today we're going to be looking at really how platforms and technology can help drive sustainability and ESG, not only for investors and shareholders, but also to give users and employees that really involved in the day-to-day manufacturing and distribution of the products, a little bit of a glimpse into what the company's doing and to make sure that everyone really is on the same journey. And to have that conversation, I'm welcoming an old friend and ProcureTech founder back to the show, uh, Sheldon Maidert, CEO and founder of Sopico. Very warm welcome. James, hi. Thanks for having me back. And uh, excuse the, the, the sunburn it's from this week's Ride London. Well, it's a podcast, so the good thing is no one can see it. And uh, if you manage to if you manage to get sunburns on one of the seven days a year that you can in the UK, then good luck to you. <laughs> it's an achievement, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Anyway, good to be here. So before we dive in, Sheldon, I always like to do this with guests. Just give a quick overview of your career because you come from the supply chain space, Sheldon, and there, and there are not that many founders that, that do have a background in procurement or supply chain when they come into this space. So just give us a quick overview of your career to date and how you ended up arriving at the journey of becoming a startup founder. Sure. Uh, yes, I, I was a, well, still am. You, you never really stop being that. I'm, I was a practitioner in procurement for what a few years, uh, 20 something plus maybe working essentially within the enterprise space and for central government. So I worked all across different government agencies from the MOD to the Met Police to Department of Health, Ministry of Justice, et cetera, foreign office. Uh, I've been everywhere. In the early days, I'd worked with companies that were going through generally structural change. So it could be divestment or merger and acquisition or, or big outsource programs, uh, essentially focusing on supplier management transformations through those types of change. And for me, it was always about, well, because I've always been a relationship person, uh, and that, that, that's kind of inherent in me. And, and so for me, it was always about, well, well let, let's work out how to drive value from, you know, go beyond the contract space and, and drive that, that double-digit value that lives within the relationship space. Um, because for me, it's always been key, uh, and relationship has always been the, the central and the central enabler of, of that value, and it drives you know keeping those contracts on their tracks as well. To be honest with you, uh, it really is the central the central enabler. So for me, it was always about well, okay, there wasn't really any tech, uh, and I used to be a bit of a a bit of a, a an Excel geek, to be honest with you, and so I spent quite a lot of time creating these funky formulas that would emulate subjective relationship 
or subject, you know, uh, subjective type behavior turning it into something objective that we could then, that we could then measure. Uh, because if we can measure it, we can drive value from it. Because until then, and still largely now, uh, the, the relationship space has, has largely been unmanageable because there's been no structure to it. You know, it's been a bit like nailing the proverbial jelly to, to a wall. Um, so I did that, you know, cutting, cutting a long story short, did that for many clients uh, across different industries. Uh, and a lot of them really liked what I did. One of the templates, adopted the templates, Fujitsu Services, one, T Systems is another, uh, Lloyd's Banking Group as well, uh, as, as well for, for the Verdi investment. And so I thought, well, there's got to be a better way. So we're going to look at creating some software to do it. So essentially that, that's how Sapico was born. It was, it was born of my frustration of the <laughs> normal. And that's what a lot of founders do, right? They spot a gap in the marketplace and, and create something to, to plug it. And, you know, what? so essentially then the first iteration of Sapico was really just dumping everything you had in your spreadsheets and in your head into a piece of user usable tech that could guide people to do what you'd done in Excel all those years. It's like me in a can, correct? <laughs> uh, it's taking me, and it's it, 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 it's you know it, it's canning me into something that that can be that's repeatable and scalable. That was the other thing, you know. You do all of this stuff on spreadsheets and powerpoints, as we've all done for years, and it's it, you know, it's, it's really not repeatable, is it? No, no, it's not. All again, it, it, it just doesn't work in today's non-stop environment. It just doesn't. Yeah. There really needed to be a better way. So you obviously market Sapico as being in the sustainability and the ESG space, but it's much more versatile than that. And you can, in theory, use the platform to do a number of different things. But we're going to explore ESG a little bit more specifically as, 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 as applications. So before we do, I just wanted to touch with you on maybe to explore the difference between what Sapico does and some of the other platforms that are out there in the marketplace also focusing on ESG, especially in terms of some of the more market intelligence and surveillance technology like risk methods, pre-wave, Integrity Next, for example, that have all you know recently got funding or being acquired. Um, how, how is Sapico different in what you do? So, so, great question. Let me answer it by first saying that Sapico, the name Sapico, is a portmanteau on the words supplier and eco. So this goes to the very heart of what we do. But for me, the, the start of that journey is the relationship. We put the relationship at the beginning and center of everything. Um, now, those aforementioned solutions are absolutely imperative. I, I know a lot of those founders as well, great people. In fact, we've just partnered with one of them, Ditch Carbon, to bring uh, 2 million and growing uh, company records and climate risk profiles to the fingerprint, to the, the fingers of our customers, shall we say, within the platform. But for us, at our very core, we drive social audit compliance down in the footprint. That's the difference for us. That, that's the differentiator for us. We, we've created a relationship infrastructure and the ability to drive actionable insights. And one of our two main, number one is relationship-driven uh, resilience and performance management. The other is social audit compliance down in the footprint. So it's the ability to empower your workforces, your supplier workforces, bringing them into the platform 
and giving them giving them true visibility, true access. Got it. Okay. So what type of businesses or what size of businesses typically then are you having conversations with about this challenge? So uh, we've been doing some work with uh, Sky, uh, some data trialing with Sky for the last 12 months, actually, uh, for their merchandise supply chain. We do work with uh, other big companies as well, BAE Systems, obviously, another one of our customers. Uh, we've just onboarded La Perla as well, which is an Italian uh, lingerie brand. And, but you know, all these companies are, are, are what you call larger organizations, but we also are starting to work with smaller organizations. And it's very interesting, okay, because you know, look, the further you go along the supply chain, the smaller the companies become. And those smaller companies are, are finding it, they're finding it hard you know, to, 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 to pay the bills at the moment. That's where their focus is. And the legislation is all is increasing, as we know. Uh, that's being pushed out into supply chain, as you'd expect. And this is where the whole thing starts to come together. Because if you don't, if you're not fostering those relationships and bringing your suppliers in, then you're going to find it very hard to move the needle and get to where you want to be. I mean, there are studies from, you know, I point to, a, to an EcoVardis study that, that, that looked at, at they, they said that out of 100% of the suppliers that they surveyed, the CSR clauses that they have seen pushed out into contract have been deemed to be not worth the paper they were written on because they have no bearing, yeah. they have no bearing in reality. They've just been imposed. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because, as I said, you know, you start looking at the smaller companies that make up the supply chain as you go further along or further upstream when you look at it in a linear fashion. But you understand what I mean. 43% of those companies statistically have zero visibility of their produce once it leaves their supply, their, their premises. That's a stop. It's a, it's a worrying statistic if you're trying to, to drive sustainable supply chain. And these guys are all saying, what's in it for me? I'm trying to pay my bills. This, you know, global crisis, it, it's a global crisis, the, you know, the, the, the economic struggles at the moment. So if you're not driving relationships, you're not going to get to where you need to be. And that is the differentiator for us. And that is, and, and that's not just aimed at bigger companies, that you may well have bigger customers, but the organizations that you uh, that you bring into the platform that, that, that we see onboarded onto the platform are often much smaller companies and they have an active role. Yeah. And you touched on a couple of things there that I'd like to sort of dig into in a bit more detail. So, you know, we covered then some of the current challenges when it's, when it comes to companies having awareness of what's in their supply chains and particularly at the supplier level to get the people that are actually involved in making the product rather than just sales and marketing, you know, in, on board and, and rowing in the same direction. So how do you then bring that data into the visibility of those kind of people that are involved in the more day-to-day operations or that are maybe sort of further down in tier two or tier three of the supply chain? So the, we've created a truly collaborative platform but at the same time, we needed to be very cognizant of the fact that every supplier on the platform is likely to have a bilateral contract with the customer. Um, and those contracts are likely to contain, uh, you know, various, a whole nature of different sensitivities that, that aren't to be shared, that the customer and that supplier doesn't want to share with other 
other other players. Because of, sorry, Sheldon, because of confidentiality or because of what, what, what's to be, yeah. It could be, it could be confidential. It could be different types of IP within contracts. It could be pricing. It could be service improvement plans. It could be any nature of, of things, uh, that are commercially sensitive. Yeah. So, so that's an absolute, that's absolutely key. So we've had to be aware of that whilst creating something that enables a, a prime supplier, tier one supplier, to bring in other tier two suppliers or other key suppliers, other tier one suppliers that sit next to them, facing into a customer that may well also be part of a supply chain or creating, you know, providing a, a, a deliverable as part of an overall, you know, service. So it's very, very important. We, we focus very heavily on stakeholder mapping in order to f- control the flow of data. That's number one. That's very, very important. And something that doesn't get talked about. Um, we will talk about collaboration, but okay, it needs to be meaningful and there's a lot of work involved in making that happen for a complex supply chain. Um, that's number one. We've created a set of processes to enable a whole range of different audit requirements to be uploaded into the platform, whether it be, you know, SMEAT reports, SA 8000, any, you name it, there are a whole range of, of, of different reporting requirements depending on what's been procured, whether it be food, produce, or, or, or you know, or, do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Food or, 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 or manufacturing or other, or garmentry, garments, I should say. If you've uploaded the requirements so that the customer can see the requirements, this, the customer also wants to see that the suppliers are uploading their compliance to those audit requirements in real time. In real time, so it could be. Uh, so to give you give you an example, it could be um, eyewash facilities in a chemical factory. Yeah. So there might be a requirement to upload photographic imagery of those eyewash facilities in that factory, or decibel measurements in a print factory, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they may well be requirements uh, laid out in a report, in Smeets report, um, and they require that a supplier uploads those. Those record uh, those artifacts straight into the platform from the factory floor, so it's true footprint activity. Um, but the other very very key requirement is to have third party auditors brought straight into the platform. And it was one of our customers that said, "Look, we don't want to. We don't. We, we need to bring these auditors in straight into these projects. So you can, can you can, can you can create any type of." Uh, service or product infrastructure within the platform for any nature of supplier that you add. And so this, the, the, the customers that they said to us, we don't want, we want to bring these auditors in, but we don't want to have to bring them in, uh, using our hardware software build, you know, laptops, et cetera, et cetera. We don't want to go through vetting, uh, and, and, and onboarding. It takes too long. And to be honest with you, the, the legislation is real time. The compliance needs to be real time. So how can we do that now? So we've created the ability, the, the, the functionality to bring guest auditors in as guests straight into a product line to validate any artifacts and imagery certification or requirements on the suppliers against a, a, you know, a report, thereby uploading certification by way of validation of traceability straight into the platform. So this is true social audit compliance. When I say social audit compliance, I'm talking about code of conduct, uh, I'm talking about health and safety, environmental policies, ethical trading, 
uh, ethical business practices, modern slavery. There are there are many. They're all on the platform, so you can just re- reply straight into those categories on the platform, uh, as well as obviously the the, the all important KPI creation suite, uh, where we've given the suppliers real access to to log in and score their own KPIs. Not able to create their own KPIs and score them. So that would be a little bit bit too far, but uh, they're able to, <laughs> to score KPIs. It's the customers have said we want to drive an environment of trust. This is absolutely key. Bring the suppliers in, give them a voice, show that you trust them. They are investing in you at the end of the day as well. They are making an investment. So um, all these mechanisms we've, we've brought to play on the platform to create a, a, a very different experience for the user. And that part's important, isn't it? Getting the suppliers to play ball with you and by involving them and asking them to submit their own KPI score. Like you say, they're not going to set what KPIs they, they're, they're going to score themselves for, but to give themselves the opportunity to to self-assess them themselves. That's that's smart because it helps to get them involved and it's a, it's a starting point for the negotiation, isn't it? Even if you don't agree with what they've put in. And, and I think one of the things that I was going to ask you next, actually, but I think you've kind of already answered the question was, you know, just I was looking at it just from a very stupid standpoint saying, well, how is this different from just a documents repository like, like SharePoint? But you, you've kind of answered it that if I paraphrase you, you're taking legal requirements you're allowing auditors to go in there in real time. The platform's also enabled, uh, uh, able to cope with different organizations are understandably going to have different uh, corporate social responsibility and supplier codes of conduct. So you could potentially, if I understood you correctly, you could have the same tier two supplier that, are, that is supplying tier ones that are competing against each other and somehow you've got to be able to, within the platform, be able to manage the confidentiality that those two tier one suppliers are almost certainly going to have somewhat differing standards that, that they have as a corporate policy. That's a very good point on the confidentiality. And as I said earlier, we spent, we, we've spent a lot of time focusing on, on, on making that work, making it slick. You've got a lot of moving parts potentially in a in a modern supply chain. Some you know peer suppliers, tier one suppliers, and and and, and multiple layers beneath, and they've all got the same right to confidentiality. They all have, but you, and so you need to make that work. So we we spent a lot of a lot of time on on, on that, and but there are other factors as well. Um, as you mentioned, SharePoint, yeah, it's a lot more than a than a than an Excel. Uh, sheet on a, on SharePoint. Um, number one is we only use live data. You can't do this without live data because you're driving, you're driving compliance against legislation. It needs to be live. You need to be able to create those exposure alerts in real time because at the end of the day, legislation is increasing. Okay. Which means compliance is obviously, it needs to increase as well. And the other thing that's increasing is whistleblowing. Because the public and the workforce has an insatiable urge to take their complaints to social media. Public, yeah. Which is a huge reputational risk. Quite rightly so, quite possibly, right? But, but the fact is, it, it's, it's a huge concern and it needs to be managed. So 
you can only do that by by creating these cornerstones of functionality. One is the actionable insights, mechanisms to help you see and to help you do in real time. Um, number the, the other one is the insights themselves, live data. So there are these cornerstone functionalities that hang together to make this work. And the other one that we haven't mentioned is automate because people are busy and they're not going to be logging into a platform all the time. They're just not going to do it. So we've taken all of the aforementioned, all of the actionable insights, the, the kind of infrastructure that we've created for these product lines and service lines, and we use a set of algorithms and go down into a techie hole, but we use a set of algorithms to to quality stamp and to date stamp the data. And we then use that to distribute the information out to the supply chain, to the ecosystem, not just to the customers, but to the even more so to the suppliers, to be honest with you, because these are the guys providing the services. So she's that data out, live data out on a regular basis. So it sees when something is lapsing, it sees when a project's getting old, it sees when a KPI has expired or when a when an audit report is is getting you know it, it need, needs updating and it pushes that information out to the right people wherever they happen to be and and that's vital isn't it especially on especially on anything that's not related to procure to pay which is you know typically that that's the the operational side of the business anything that's more sort of audit and compliance related there is the risk of exhaustion. And like you say, people don't want to have to log into platforms. They want to have data pushed to them. And, uh, and without, the, without that functionality, you're always going to be, I, I guess, trying to push treacle uphill, getting people to comply to that. No, no matter how good your platform looks, right, it's always going to be a challenge. 100%. It just won't work. It, it just won't work because people are busy and you know they, they're just not going to go logging in and looking for things. So we've taken all of that away, and at the end of the day, people are really not just busy, but there are there are a lot a lot more resource constraints around than than there were before. And so, if, so, so we've created the technology to to do a lot of that policing, a lot of that micromanagement, a lot of that that administration to push it out, push it out. This is what you need to be doing now. It lands straight in your inbox. It doesn't need to be inbox. It can be sap or retiles or, 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 or you know even whatsapp for business although we've never had a we've never done that with whatsapp with with whatsapp for business yet because of the security concerns but yeah it, it's all about pushing it out pushing it out don't make people look for it they're busy push it out and what about on the other side sheldon do you have organizations that want to have that data then pushed into their into their erp or into their um in, in, into their wider SRM platform if they're perhaps using another another system for things like quality management? Yes, we look at that. Uh, two answers, two, two, two uh, approaches to that um, because it's, the platform works as a standalone platform but it doesn't require any kind of intrusive implementation or, or customization. It will just, it will go turnkey, it will run turnkey. Which, which I guess sort of speed, speeds up the time to implementation as well, doesn't it? As a, yeah. Super fast. Um, there's no doubt about it. Uh, having said that, it's built as an API, it's an API first architecture, it's an Azure cloud platform. Uh, so it's inherently API friendly. So, uh, and obviously we've already built this kind of orbit of partnerships, as I mentioned, one of them. We've also partnered with Market Dojo for their on demand sourcing. And we've also uh, been looking at various ERPs as well, for example, uh, Oracle, for example, um, and SAP. So, yes, but it doesn't need to do that. It doesn't need to do that. 
Right. So it's really then down to the customer choice of do you want fast implementation or do you want all of your systems to speak to one another? I think that speaks to me generally the way that I see procurement technology and this whole market going in general that you know, every customer is different and your platform needs to be agile enough to to integrate if the customer needs it to integrate, but often they won't and they're going to save themselves a whole lot of time and blood, sweat and tears if they don't need to do it and if they can figure out a way of not having to integrate it. Correct, correct. And in my experience, in my experience, organizations don't necessarily like to be prescribed to. They just want to know that they can um, so there are many organizations that I could name where they work with multiple ERPs. They work with multiple ESG platforms as well. Um, and, and different, you know, components of the procurement landscape. So there's a, there's a litany of technology all over the place within every organization. Um, so we make that an open situation rather than trying to prescribe a solution to them in that regard. But it's also good, like you said, to have alliance. You mentioned Market Dojo and Digital Hub and Market Dojo being an e-sourcing platform. So that's more of the upstream activity of when you're looking for a supplier and then to get all of their accreditation, audit documents, certification, health and safety during the point of contracting. And then Ditch Carbon is obviously then further downstream if you're looking at decarbonizing your supply chain. So, you know, I see a pattern there of trying to make that whole system flow a lot more end-to-end. And, you know, yes, they might have other technology or legacy platforms that they're using, but if a prospect comes to you or to Ditch Carbon or Market Dojo for that matter, you can kind of offer them an end-to-end solution without them needing to go to anyone else, which is, you know, everyone's getting platform weary, aren't they, of having to deal with multiple systems as we touched on earlier. So, so having those partnerships and alliances, if you're, if you, you know, if you're all speaking the same values and you've got, you know, seamless flow into each other from a, from a sales perspective and you've got implementation partners that you can work with. That's, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I do think that's the future of procurement technology in general, especially best of breed platforms like, like Sapico is to be able to have that alliance network and partner network to be able to, to offer that seamless flow. Because if you don't, then you're always going to come up against that, that objection of, well, you know, well, what about the upstream and the downstream processes? How are we going to integrate it all? It's it's just one objection you can tick off the list, isn't it? If you've got that already with the uh, with the partnerships, it's the direction of travel, without a doubt, without a doubt, and more seamless. That's why uh, that's why I call it. In fact, I, I I didn't coin the expression. It was actually uh, Doctor Louise Epstein that did, and I and I said so. I'm stealing that expression from you. Our orbit of partnerships is what we've created. Uh, and it's true. It's, that's exactly what it's about. Uh, because, you know, they're swivel chairing from one process or one login to another is not optimal, is it? At all. No, it most certainly isn't. <laughs> so we, we've spoken about Sapico being one place for all necessary, ne- necessary stakeholders, be it customers, suppliers, auditors, or anything sort of legal or regulatory. This is obviously a great case study for sustainability and governance, but the platform itself in terms of the tech behind it and the interface is 
is pretty versatile. So before we signed off, I just wanted to to give you the opportunity to maybe share some examples of other use cases that it could be used for. Maybe if you've got an example from a more traditional manufacturing setting, but also perhaps from a services business in case anyone's thinking, well, well, this is great, but we don't need to go down that level of compliance with our, with our ESG because we don't make anything. Yes. So each situation is, is unique, to be honest with you. Um, and the use cases don't all fall squarely into an ESG kind of setting. Uh, so, so obviously BAE systems, for example, uh, digital intelligence, um, they are very much about driving relationship driven performance improvement. They, they, I mean, they're, they're kind of raison d'etre when they started. I mean, we've just renewed for the third year with, with BAE systems, which is awesome. Uh, we, we're making new commitments together. As I said, they, their, their whole thing was to become their supplier's customer of choice uh, by creating an equitable place for, for their suppliers to come together and to be able to critique for them central to what they were doing was to create the narrative. They, they didn't really want to just, they wanted to go beyond KPI dashboards, you know, seeing reds and greens and, and, and yeah. 100% this and 90% that. Because at the end of the day, where's the value in that? The value is in the narrative, isn't it? It's not in the red or the green. That's no value. Yes, we tick in the box. The value is in the narrative because that tells you why and how. Um, and, and, and that, that, that's eminently more valuable. So that was what they're all about. So, so, you know, in the manufacturing space, especially, uh, BAE, uh, with manufacturing suppliers and they, and they've seen in their electronics manufacturing, electronics and manufacturing areas, huge sources of value, uh, with innovation through shared R and D coming through, coming through the platform, uh, with, 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 uh, manufacturers driving innovation through their assembly processes. So, I mean, that, that, I mean, that's been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Then there are other examples. So, La Perla, for example, they, they're, they're driving visibility of their supply base through, through artifacts uploaded into the platform and they're going from there. So, you know, they, they're different levels of maturity across different organizations, uh, with, with, you know, in, in, in what they're looking for. Then there's product network, uh, merchandise supply chain. That's very, very much about social audit compliance. And Sky, the data work we've been doing with them again, merchandise supply chain, and that's very much about creating this holistic view of, you know, the the, the standards that are being that are being met and, and, and complied with, uh, if you like, on on or on the platform uh, with driven, and this is really important, driven by the suppliers. Um, so it's low touch, low touch for the customer. The suppliers, the, the KPIs are there, the product lines are all there, they've all been created. The supplier logs in, they upload, they score their KPIs, and it's not heavy lifting either. A lot of these KPIs, by the way, are the annual KPIs, for example. So you've got to, you know, it, there's, there's no logging in and laborious activity for anybody here. But, but it's all about, uh, what, you know, we found that, that this is about taking the onus away from the customer, giving the suppliers ownership. And real derived that, you know, value derived access and contribution. And they, and they like it because it's, that's what relationships are. So yeah, there's a whole range of different flavors out there. Yeah. Supplier innovation and R and D. I mean, I'm more familiar with that than I am in terms of the, the social and the governance and the governance aspect, but I can, I can certainly see how that could be a massive benefit for just fostering faster 
implementation of new ideas because it just takes all of that out of email and out of monthly operational or development meetings and puts it all in one place. So as you're not, you know, waiting for the next meeting to get an answer from a certain decision maker. So yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. Just for the, for the context, BAE is a, is a, a defense contractor in the UK for anyone who maybe didn't catch who they were. Uh, so yeah, supplier innovation and, and quality and, and t- speed to market, I guess, in that type of industry is paramount. Yeah. Just just on that last point before you you close, so that that so that last point you made about you know you reducing those those times to action uh, and working in real time. I mean, McKinsey actually did a study uh, and they talked about platforms such as ours, these digital platforms that are able to to drive additional value. Uh, they actually said three to three to ten percent incrementally on a, on an annual basis through vacating. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So yeah, through through vacating a legacy governance process. So so if you look at KPIs such as time to action, for example, you are radically reducing that right the way down because there's no need to work to this, you know, more traditional legacy process because because you're getting the information out there now in real time and you're getting a response now in real time. So the savings are are, are huge just in that one KPI alone. Yeah, it, it's just, it's all to do with speed and agility, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what industry sectors do you think are the furthest behind in terms of doing this? And which ones on the flip side of the coin do you see as being the most progressive? Yes, well, I'd say that consumer-facing organizations are further towards the front of that line. Yeah, because of the, well, because they just have to be, to be honest with you, because the, because people are buying, they're making decisions based on their conscience, based on you know purpose-driven decisions now. So the consumer has a voice, okay, and and they are the cost of the reputational damage, isn't it? Especially in things like textiles and yeah, yeah. Because the links between CRM, you know, the customer relationship management and SRM are now are, are becoming tighter and tighter and tighter. Because customers make decisions based on what's happening in the supply base now, so that's that link shrinking. So consumer-facing businesses, facing businesses, number one. Uh, also, I'd, I'd say high-carbon creating industries are also very conscious, obviously, uh, in, in terms of scope three, for example. Um, and, and I think the others are. You also go to some, some of the some of the in, this, in the in the social audit space. Uh, it, it, it's quite appalling to note that child labour is actually increasing in certain on certain continents in, in 2023, which is you just wouldn't think it, would you? But it is. So you know there are still many, many, many challenges out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to note which ones are the uh, are the, are the most forward thinking, and also I, I love what you said that CRM and SRM is becoming narrower and narrower in terms of them being just completely intertwined, especially as you say in a customer in in a very client facing in industry, anything that is some sort of consumer good or or uh, or, or fast moving product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely get that. So we need to wrap this up, Sheldon, conscious of the time. If anyone would like to find out more about Sapika or maybe book a demo with you, where is the best place that they can get hold of you? So they can find me personally on LinkedIn or they can find Sapika on LinkedIn. Very, very easy to find. Or, or they can find us on the website, issuedpeco.com. Uh, and just reach out. 
And we will link to all of that in the show notes. Sheldon, always a pleasure talking to you. Look forward to when we can have a beer together in person again. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and telling us how you've grown the platform really since when we last spoke just just over, yeah, just under two years ago, I think it was. So yeah, lots going on in the meantime. Time flies, doesn't it, when you're having fun or trying to grow a startup. <laughs> That was fantastic. Thanks for having me on today. So that was Sapiko, and that was bringing your ESG and social compliance more into the vizier and also making it easy for suppliers to update and have that information pushed to them without them having to log into multiple different platforms or battle with Excel and SharePoint. Just a quick note before we sign off, thank you very much for listening to the show. Don't forget, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you like us, it helps us to reach more people. And we will see you again same time next week. Until then, bye for now. Bye for now.